Dear Christian friends, it's okay to fight. Now, kids, don't take that to mean that I'm giving you the, the okay to fight with your siblings or, or other peers. Wives, that's not a, a license for you either to pick a fight with your husband, despite the, the many reasons he gives you day after day after day. Uh, men, that's not a license for you to feel as if you are able to, to pick a fight with, with any other knucklehead who has done you wrong that needs to be taught a lesson. Nevertheless, it's okay to fight. In fact, it's absolutely necessary. And by now you know that I'm not speaking about any sort of a physical fight here on earth, but a, a fight that matters much more than any earthly temporal fight. A, a fight that is not just for the life here and now, but a fight that is for eternal life. Now sure, it's very clear in Scripture that God alone gives us this free gift of eternal life by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. But it is also very true that that gift of eternal life can be lost. It is only given to us as a free gift, but it is also only lost through us. And so you recognize, and our prayer this morning as we continue our series is, to recognize and appreciate that, that though we are free through faith, that a part of that freedom means that we are also free to fight. It's absolutely essential that we continue to put up this fight. And, and here's the thing about it. On the one hand, the, the battle has already been won, hasn't it? Uh, Jesus already dealt a decisive blow to the devil and all of his evil angels and he did that at Calvary's cross and through the vacant tomb. And yet, even though the devil has already lost, the battle wages on, doesn't it? It's not unlike the, the stories that you've surely heard of, uh, of the Japanese soldiers in, in the islands in the Pacific after World War II had already been completed, yet they continued to hide away and act as if they were still at war not knowing it had already been over. Victory had already been declared and they were on the losing side. Satan and all of his angels act the same way despite the fact that the war has already been won for you and for me through Jesus. Still, Satan continues to fight. And still, he is able to inflict no small amount of damage causing many Christian casualties on those that refuse to acknowledge the need to fight or to make use of God's power to fight those battles. The battles that we are called to fight are, are many, and we'll look at them shortly. And as we consider the, the, the casualties that the devil can bring about, we saw that, that Paul listed, he identified a couple of them in his letter to the Galatians. First of all, he, he mentioned in verse 15 uh, what happens as we bite and devour each other. He says, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And later on, he says that, that if we live a certain way, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Those two threats sound to me, and I hope to you, like the devil is able to inflict no small amount of damage on Christ and his church. Do you see the need to fight? And also, do you see how important it is to recognize that we are free to fight? And we are not fighting because we are forced to fight or or coerced to fight or because we have to fight in order to earn that victory that has already been won for us. There's a big difference between a slave being forced into battle and somebody freely choosing to go to war motivated by whatever desires he has. That slave who is forced, I don't know if you would feel real comfortable fighting alongside him if the first chance he had to escape versus somebody who enlisted willingly, somebody who was freely, who chose to fight alongside you. And that's why the the first verse from our lesson from Galatians this morning is so essential to understanding that we are free to fight. Paul wrote, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You have been freed, so then in that freedom, stand firm and fight. Paul also helps us to realize and understand that that the devil is going to, to try and he's going to use many different fronts and that that battle is going to manifest itself in a number of different ways in the lives of Christians. One of the ways he pointed out initially as he wrote to the Galatians, and, and you remember that this is really the whole purpose for Paul's letter to them, who had been freed by the gospel but were now in danger of reverting back to the law. That, that first way that Satan manifests his battles against us is to let ourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. In other words, to go from the gospel to living back under the imprisonment of the law. Realize that that that's more dangerous and and perhaps more appealing to us today than we realize as as Christians. Why? Because as you look at the the world around us and we see the the moral decay and we see the lack of of any sort of sanctified living whatsoever that everybody does and and whatever they, they feel with no restrictions whatsoever, just directly in the face of God, that that we are drawn to that old Adam in each of us to focus on right living and self-righteousness and obedience. None of which are bad things on their own, but when they receive an emphasis that comes at the expense of salvation, when, when we fall into that lie or that trap of thinking that, that God is somehow more concerned with our sanctification than He is with our salvation... And Paul says, watch out. Don't be burdened again by the yoke of the law. Don't think that God is more interested in what you could possibly do for him than in you knowing what he has already done for you in Christ. That's one of the ways that the battle shows up in our lives. Paul goes on to to list another. We read part of it already, verse 15. He says, if... If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Really what 
what he's talking about there is, is spiritual warfare that, that the devil causes right in the midst of God's people. We might even call it friendly fire. And you know what I'm talking about because undoubtedly your unbelieving friends have pointed that out to you. And you would have to acknowledge as I would that sometimes we actually end up treating each other worse than we do people in the world. That we who ought to be the embodiment and the expression of, of loving our neighbors sometimes treat our brothers and sisters in Christ even worse as if we somehow have a license to do so because we all know that we are forgiven. And so we say that the nastiest things to those that, that should find in this place refuge and welcome for those who have wronged or been wronged. Friendly fire is potentially damaging, again, as, as he points out, that it has the potential to destroy us if we let it. That's really a, a second spiritual battle that the devil wages against us. And you might agree with me that perhaps the third is the one that we most often think of, and it's really the one-on-one -on -one battle that, that the devil does with us. And, and actually, to be honest, that's part of the problem if we think of it in those terms, that, that we ever find ourselves fighting the devil one-on-one -on -one because Jesus himself has promised you and me that we are never alone, that he is always there, always battling with us, always providing strength. So if we ever fall into that lie of thinking that we're facing some temptation or some struggle alone, well, we've already believed one of the devil's lies and given him the upper hand. Paul described what is very familiar to us in terms of that picture of warfare or battle that goes on. In verses 19 and following, he says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's one of those scary sections of Scripture, isn't it? First, because Paul makes it very clear to us that this idea that you are once saved, always saved, doesn't jive with Scripture. He makes it very clear that if we live like that, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's the thing. While, while this gift of salvation and eternal life can only be given to us freely through Jesus, and not even the devil himself can take it away from us, we can lose it. And here's why this section is particularly troubling to us, or, or ought to be, because that whole list of acts of sinful nature reads like a rap sheet from each and every one of our lives. And as we look back on all of this, this list of sins that, that Paul says, and then he draws this conclusion that if you live like this way, you will not inherit the kingdom. Is, is Paul saying what I think he's saying? Absolutely he is. And it ought to terrify us if we ever find ourselves comfortable in any of the sins that he listed or any sin for that matter. But here's the distinction. Here's the difference. It's exactly that. It's when we become comfortable in those sins so that 
rather than struggling against them, they have subtly, and this often happens gradually, it's not an overnight thing, but gradually over time, we've given up the struggle against any of these sins that he mentions or any others, and we have been comfortable with them. And we have gotten to the point where we aren't even fighting or struggling, and now it is merely a way of life. And now when another Christian tries to point it out, well, our, our hearts have already been hardened to that, perhaps, or too comfortable in it that we turn a deaf ear to their warnings. And when that's the case, Paul says, you are outside the kingdom of God. So what is, what is the solution to these different spiritual battles that we are called to fight, the, the different fronts of, of the war that Satan poses to each of us? Paul wrapped up this section in the last verse. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And what exactly does that mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, he, he describes for us this challenge, uh, these battles that we are fighting on a regular basis, and then he gives us the solution, which, which might surprise you just a little bit. If you listen to verses 13 and 14, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about that for a moment as Paul is talking about these temptations that we are faced with. How do you often think of, of yourself when you know that you are faced with a temptation. What is the antidote? What is the solution? Well, we have things like flee or don't put yourself in that position in the first place. Uh, whatever it might be, we, we end up putting an awful lot on our own shoulders about the answer to, to avoiding any kind of temptation is within me, that I just have to avoid it in the first place, to, to not give in to it. And if I do, that it's just a matter of weakness. But did you see what, what Paul said the solution was? He said, rather than giving in to temptation, or as he said it, indulging in the sinful nature, he says, rather serve one another in love. He doesn't just say, don't be tempted, or run away from it, or avoid it, or have the strength to not put yourself in that position in the first place. He doesn't just give a prohibition, but he gives a command to do something else. That's pretty radical, isn't it? When you find yourself in the midst of temptation, if you're going to sit there and just say, I've got to have the strength to get through this, to avoid this, to not do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, Paul doesn't just say, don't do this. He says, instead, do this. Serve one another in love. That is actually where these fruits of spirit come from. You notice that he lists back here uh, in, in the, the end of this section, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, those are the things that we are to exercise. Those are the things that we are to practice in the face of temptation. Don't bite and devour each other. Don't, don't think that the strength to stand up to temptation is, is in you. Instead, do good. Love others. 
And think of the double blessing that God intends through that. Not only are you then not falling into temptation, but by serving or loving somebody else, you are serving them as well. It's a, a double blessing. Now, how are, how are we ever to, to carry anything out like that? Well, Paul reassures us, doesn't he? He says that it, it's not really about you or what you could do or might do or are expected to do, but really about what Jesus has already done for you. He says in verse 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Not capitulated to the sinful nature and desires, but, but crucified. It's already been crucified. Those sinful desires that, that we have, they have already been nailed to the cross. Now think how absurd it would be if you were there on that Good Friday and you saw your Savior being nailed to the cross to grab a ladder, to climb that ladder and, and, and grab a hammer to, to pull out the nails and say, no, 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 this, this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to allow you to be crucified for, for my sins. See, Jesus already paid the price for our desires, for that old Adam, for that, that nature, that natural part of us that, that wants to do what we want to do. If it's already been paid for and crucified, not by anything you do, but by what your Savior has already done, then when he says that you are free, you really are free. You actually do have the power from God himself through Jesus, not only to say no to sin, but to say yes to love to put faith into practice in the face of temptation. So that rather than being tempted to, to spew out spite to your neighbor before that temptation overcomes you, turn it around, as Paul encourages us to do, and think of how your words might serve to commend or praise or compliment that person instead. And when you find yourself tempted to abuse or misuse God's gift of, of sex, instead to turn it around and say, how can I actually honor and uphold this very special blessing that God has given to us to stay sanctified within the realms of marriage? And, and when I find in the, the deep recesses of my heart that longing, that desire to, to take what doesn't belong to me to appeal to the fruits of the Spirit and instead of following through on that, to turn it around and say, how can I help and protect that which God has blessed my neighbor with instead? It's a totally different way of, of doing battle than, than just saying to yourself, don't be tempted, don't be weak. Don't just look at it as, as what you are not to do, but, but see what Jesus has freed you to do because your sinful flesh has already been crucified and now the new you lives in Christ. The new you who, who genuinely does desire and crave serving Jesus. And turn that temptation around because Jesus has freed you to do that. So, so will, you, will you fight? The stakes are, are pretty high. God's gift is very real. And just as surely as he calls you to eternal life and to salvation, so also does he promise you to give you every strength and everything that you need to stand up to Satan. Because in Christ you're free to fight. Amen.